Welcome back to Cookies and Milk. <laughs> we are on our third episode. Cookies and Milk. Cookies and Milk. Milk and cookies, however you devour those. <laughs> I don't suggest eating those before bed. Uh, my, my trainer slash workout bud is like, are you sleeping, you know, five hours or seven hours a night? I'm like, mm, not really. So are you eating what at night? Exactly. I was like, well, so if I'm being totally honest, I love chocolate at night. It's so bad. It probably keeps me awake. So cookies before bed may not be the wisest choice you could make, but it sure is good. So I'm happy to be back with you. This is our third episode, and it is gaining momentum. I like it. I'm glad to know that it is serving you. That's why I like it. I like it because night times are, you know, it can be uh, very stressful for people, very lonely. You know, I peruse social media, and I pay attention to the messages that you guys are relaying and, you know, suicide notes on Twitter. I mean, it's, listen, it's, it's, uh, it's a dark place right now. And, and, and the nighttime can certainly be a witching hour, a vexing time for people. So I am very glad that you're here with me and I, I hope that you can feel my arms around you. I hope you know that. I am such a mother. I love being a mother. Um, I miss my daughter. You know, I got up yesterday morning and I was by myself in my in my home and I have my little puppy. She's with me, but but I thought, oh the years of, you know, smelling cooking something burning. <laughs> Something burning, uh, waiting for the fire alarm, uh, and illegible little Crayola notes. And I mean, my daughter was amazing growing up. Oh my gosh, she was so, she was just so wonderful and so sensitive to the fact that it was just us. It was just us. I was a widow. I've been a widow for twenty two years, and and she was never not aware of that. She always honored me, always, and would make little things and, you know, little handwritten cards and um, paper mache things, you know, and she would always make breakfast and, oh my gosh, she loved to pretend like we were at the spa. So, and we didn't have a pot to be in or a window to throw it out. So it wasn't anybody going to anybody's spa, but we were like spa Matthews and, um, and she was so good. Like she found some slippers from, I think I actually did take my mom to like the St. Regis or something for her a big birthday. And we all piled up in a room one night and it was a big deal. <laughs> because again, nobody could really afford it, but my mom's worth it. So we did it. And, um, and so I had slippers. I had those little spa slippers, you know, those cheap little things. And I'm like, taking these. Couldn't afford to take the towels, but I could take those little $5 slippers and uh, had the St. Regis emblem on them. And so my daughter would, you know, pretend like my home was a spa. 
She'd have my robe laid out. She'd have the bed turned down. She'd have candles lit. She'd have my little slippers by the bed and um, bubbles in the bath and candles lit in the bath. I mean, she was just, I was like, who are you? She's so great. And I love her because she has my heart. She has my heart and she has a servant's heart. And that's how I like to love on my people, you know, whether it's my man or my mom or my daughter. Um, I love ministering to people and that is a ministry caring for people. Hospitality is one of, is one of the spiritual gifts. I mean, I'm not saying you need to run a bath for everybody, but I'm just telling you that, that, you know, my late pastor used to say that when he made love to his wife, he was ministering to his wife. I know some of y'all are like, okay, we just went to a really weird place, but no, I love that actually, because it certainly changes the dynamic of things, doesn't it? I mean, instead of taking sex from your other, you know, you are giving and you're receiving. That's a whole other union. It's a whole other dynamic. So whether you're ministering to your loved one, um, you know, through marital relations and getting to know one another, or you're running baths, I mean, you know how many times I ask men, because I'm still single, so you know I run into single guys all the time, clearly, and mar- I have a lot of married friends, and I'm very conscientious about you know what's appropriate to ask my married guy friends and what's not, but when I hear them complaining, you know, or they just feel like no one pays attention to them, because honestly, a lot of times, especially for those of us who are mothers at heart, when you're raising little people, it is very easy to turn around and treat your man like he's one of the kids. And sometimes, you know, you kind of feel like it's warranted because they act like it. But you have to really work at letting a man, you know, um, express that boy heart or mind sometimes. I mean, who wants some crusty old guy? You know what I'm saying? Like who's just crusty in his heart, in his mind, and he's just... He just thinks old and he is old and, and and he's just negative and and not that all old people are negative, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like he's lost his, what we call in Greek is called kephi, right? When you lose your kephi, that's your spirit, it's your zeal. Greeks are filled with kephi. My God, kephi and coffee. Um, but when you lose your spirit, you lose that zeal. I love men love them. And I love women too. But I love the, just the, (laughs) I love the fact that men are like, watch this, right? And you just know it's all about to go to hell. Like, I mean, you just get ready because it's, I mean, that's how, (laughs) how women live longer usually. But I love that about men. I just, I don't know why. It's a, it's a child, not a childishness, not to be confused with childishness, but there's a childlikeness about me that I love when I meet a man who still has that childlikeness, but it's really sad when, when I, when I meet men who are hiding that because their woman has scorned them to death about, you know, you have to be an adult and it's like, okay, okay. And ladies, I cannot tell you how detrimental that is. And a lot of times that's why your men 
turn to other women. I'm not excusing it at all, not even one iota. I'm just telling you that when you forget to treat your man like a man, even if and when his boy emerges and you haven't quite figured out how to speak to the king in him or to the prince in him, that's a problem because he's not your child. He'll never be your child. And I promise you, you will be left with only your children if you are not conscientious about that and really start to look at each other in your marriages, quite honestly, as beautiful human beings who have entrusted each other to each other um, to serve each other, to minister to each other. I love that. And when I say minister, it's like, what does that mean? You know, after Jesus spent 40 days and nights, you know, in the desert with literally the devil um, and came out of that victorious, what happened? The Bible says that the angels came to minister to him. He was hungry, honey. He needed some food and something to, to drink. And the angels came to minister to him. So they took care of him. They fed him. They took care of his soul, took care of his needs. And I think a lot of times we forget to do that. As women, we're not very good at doing that for ourselves. So I was so grateful for my daughter and her and her sweet little heart growing up to 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 assess and I think sometimes children from um divorced homes, single parent families, ours was due to uh the death of my husband, but many of you are single family um parents and um you know, you have your kids on occasion and I think sometimes we forget that our kids, you know, well especially in death um, they fear the loss of that other parent. And so they're extraordinarily cognizant of your feelings, your emotions. And, and yes, even in divorced families as well, they are aware of how you feel. If you're prone to, you know, bouts of anger or explosive, explosive moments, you know, I know a lot of times my poor daughter, good grief, you know, I had the weight of the world on my shoulders um, for many years. And, and I would try to walk out my faith and, and live in faith and live in trusting God. And, you know, I write a book, I wrote a book about it. Um, and it, and I failed miserably many times, you know, I just kept failing uphill. <laughs> it was like a friend of mine calls them uphill avalanches. <laughs> That's what my life felt like for most of my daughter's little life. It was hard. It was so hard. It's hard. And God was so faithful. He was, and I definitely was not completely faithful like some ladies are. I just wasn't. I wasn't for whatever reason. I don't beat myself up over that as as much anymore or really at all because there's nothing I can do to change it. Um, and, And I do believe that God has forgiven me for the things that I've asked him to forgive me for. I believe that. So, but when you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, you also carry that in your attitude and your you know, your mental fortitude and capacity, your bandwidth is, is diminished. It's challenged. Your patience is challenged. And when your children feel, because they do, they feel everything. They're little barometers in your home. They hear everything. They're sponges. And they take in all of your stuff. 
they take in all of your stuff. And my daughter ended up taking in a lot of stuff, mainly because she was afraid of, that I would go away too, that I would die as well. And so she would work overtime and making sure, you know, that everything was good, everything was okay. And, and as an adult now, that's something that she's having to overcome. And I'm sharing this with you because many of you have your little people at home, and I, I just want to share that with you so that maybe you can mitigate some of that now. Don't let your children take on your burdens. It's not their place. It's not appropriate. It's not in right order, and it is extremely uh, predictable, particularly with women, with mothers, single mothers, very predictable. Men, not so much. Men, you know, I mean, men are men, you know, and and I say that lovingly. Uh, they they don't normally, unless they're alcoholics or they're just abusive by nature, um, or they're absent, you know. But they don't normally burden their kids with emotional stuff because most men are not super burdened with emotional stuff. <laughs> we're being honest. Um, but something that I believe I've seen mothers do that is extremely damaging um, is they replace the husband, even if they're not divorced. If there's a husband in the in the mix that is not um, making the wife happy, um, just not up to par, how whatever par is according to that respective woman. Um, a lot of times, if there's a son involved the mother will look to the son to make up for the difference in the lack in the husband. And I cannot possibly tell you how detrimental that is. I just can't because it's out of order. Your son is not your husband. And I always encourage people to have the conversations that are uncomfortable. You have to. There's no way to be completely accepted and, and, to accept your person without being completely honest. And it doesn't have to mean that you're beating the crap out of each other and tearing each other down. Your intentions, you know, my three C's, Monica's three C's of my brand is to communicate for the sake of clarity, ultimately to connect. There's no way to connect without clear communication. I mean, you can have a half-baked connection, you can have that with anybody, but if you want to know and be known and be accepted and to accept your person and, you know, allow marriage, marriage, I love that. We gathered here today, marriage, so Princess Bride, sorry, I digress. But if you, if you're going to allow your marriage to serve you for the reason that God ordained marriage, then you're going to have to live um, honestly. It doesn't mean you die on every hill. It doesn't mean you nitpick and criticize and, you know, but it, it does mean that I would hope that you know that to minister to one another is the greatest thing that you could give each other. And ladies, that starts in your own mirror. For those of you who just die on every hill and you're the martyr of the family and you never complain and, you know, uh, I want you to think about something. Every funeral I've attended for someone who died of cancer, there is a very common theme. You ready? She never complained about anything. 
I mean, you never even knew that she was stressed or bothered. Just She just let it all wash off of her back. And I'm like, yeah, I bet you that probably wasn't the case. I bet you her body was saying something differently on a cellular level. Or his body. You know, men carry a lot of stuff they don't share. For a number of reasons. And mainly because they compartmentalize and when they do share, you know, I mean, they need a safe place to do it. And, um, and, w- and they live in a day and age, we all do, where psh, talk about male intellectual and, and societal castration ad nauseum. I mean, it's crazy out here. I would not want to be a man. And being a woman is hard because we're told that we're something to be worshipped. And we're not. We're something to be honored to be cherished, adored, cared for. Uh, you know, Christ, the husband's supposed to love the wife as Christ loved the church, giving his life for her. What does that mean? You know, most men would say, well, I'd, I'd jump out in front of a speeding bullet <laughs> or an Uber. <laughs> really? Most men I know would literally heave their wives in front of the speeding bullet or, or Uber because they're just so over it. And I say that jokingly, but kind of half serious. I'm not kidding. Um, Because they're just tired of being treated like the kids or ignored or, you know, neglected or you you name it, whatever, or lied to. (laughs) Any number of things. In competition, right? Just not heard, not left alone whenever they need to be left alone. I mean, they're not allowed to cave. You know, everything is an issue or or just dramatic moment. But... When Christ says to love your wife as he loved the church laying down his life, it's like, you know, some men just kind of immerse themselves in their hobbies or their phones or their work, right? Everything else comes before the wife, friends, the golf course. I was a golf widow, so I get it. And then after he died, I was like, huh you know, hold my beer. I'm going to learn how to play golf and I do it really well and I love it. It's awesome. Um, But it was, it sucked when I didn't play golf because I was like, um, can we maybe have just one Saturday together? And ultimately it breeds contempt. And, And something I could tell you for sure, I don't care, you know, how faithful you think you're going to be. Um, there's a breaking point in every person and you can make it easy for your significant other to become prey. I don't say that to scare you. Um, I say that as a sobriety pill because believe me when I tell you more of you than not take that person lying next to you who may not be in your bed yet. They may be downstairs watching whatever they watch every night. Or maybe they're still out. I don't know. But I guarantee you, eight out of ten of you take that person who you share a home with for granted. And as someone who values partnership in marriage and commitment in marriage, who has not had that in 22 years, And I have ministered to countless people, and I've seen it a hundred times over. It grieves me. 
it grieves me because I think I come, I come at this from a little bit of a different angle, which is when you lower your spouse into the ground, something happens to you. When you watch your significant other die a very slow and grueling death, something happens to you. And what you realize is just how fragile it all is and how none of the stuff that you get upset about even matters. And it won't matter. It just won't. Trust me. I hear from widowers right now and and widows who are like, especially widowers, which is really interesting. And I, I, it's not because I think people are hitting on me and if they are, that's fine, whatever. I, you know, it is what it is. I'm not hung up on stuff like that, but, but, but more often than not, men do reach out to say, Hey, I'm struggling with, you know, how long does this feeling last? You know, like I think I'm fine. And then all of a sudden I'm just knocked over by a wave. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what grief is like. And a lot of you go through that in divorce too. And you don't take the time to just go through the suck moments and you fill your bed and your, and your beer glasses and your vodkas and your, you know, your martinis and your, you know, your high heels and your, and, and your, your Snapchats and your online profiles. You fill all that with stuff and people and moments and escapades and experiences. And ultimately you're laying there in the bed right now just not really a whole person just going through the motions feels good all of your oxytocin all of your feel-good neurotransmitters are pumping and somebody's texting and they make you feel good and maybe they're sending you nakeds I I don't know nudes nakeds I call them nakeds any kkids because I'm southern but and they make you feel good temporarily but all of that is so futile, and, and, and no one wants to feel it. No one wants to feel the grief because it's daunting, and you don't know if you're going to recover. You don't know if you're going to make it. You don't know that if you allow yourself to feel the death of your marriage, the death of your relationship, the actual physical death of your spouse or your child or your parent, or your sister, or brother, or your best friend. You don't know that you're going to survive it. Because one minute with grief, you're literally on your back in a very still sea. I think of like the Aegean Sea, which is usual, I mean, in little inlets and islands around Greece. I mean, it's just beautiful, very still. And all this, you know, like you're floating on your back, right? I love floating on my back in the water and just listening to all the sounds underwater, the life force underwater. I love water. And you know, you're back floating and all of a sudden it's like this friggin' tsunami literally from hell from the, across the world finds its way to you. You're just floating one minute, enjoying the sun. Everything's great. Life's rolling along. You feel like you've finally moved ahead and then bam, you know, it just pounds you like a, like a Hawaiian wave. If you've ever been to Maui or anywhere in Hawaii, oh my God. You take your life in your own hands every time you walk out into the water. And if you're not holding on to a boogie board or something, you're just dumb. But it's dangerous. And that's how grief feels. 
But if you'll just trust that you're not going to drown, you may swallow some water. You may get surprised. You may be sitting at the red light and all of a sudden you just burst out into tears. Because on a cellular level, your body is holding on to that to that grief. And it is. It does. People die of grief. Literally. People die from broken hearts, broken relationships, from rejection, from being abandoned. People die from that regularly. We say people can die of a broken heart. And we say it so you know, just flippantly, but it's true. Physically, your body responds to grief. So while you're out there busy trying to cover it all up, you know, and you're you're just working through it, I get it. Try to find some productive ways to allow yourself to feel all the crappy feelings. And then think of King David. This helps me. This has helped me tremendously, and it helps me now, and this is something that I tell the widowers who reach out to me. Grief is like a series of waves, and they do get smaller over time. They do. And you will find that most men do want to move on before women um, after the death of a spouse. It is remarkable remarkable how that happens. Um, And even a divorce, most men will, you know, they may have their heyday for a minute, but they will ultimately... Uh, want to find their person again uh, before the woman does. And so, but with that, I always encourage people to really allow yourself to just be knocked out by a few tsunami waves and, um, and then think of King David. I love this. It's like he did all of his mourning and sackclothing, <laughs> you know, when he, when he got together with Bathsheba and, and he shouldn't have because she was somebody else's wife and she was smoking hot and she was taking a bath on top of a roof. And some of y'all think she was a hoochie for doing that and whatever. You can think what you want. But I never, you know, I wasn't going to shame Bathsheba for being outside on top of her roof. The story goes that old King David should have been on the battlefield as it was and he wasn't. And he's hanging out on his rooftop and he's like, who is that? <laughs> and calls for her and, and he knew exactly who she was and he took her anyway. And they have a baby. She's pregnant. He's like, oh, crap. Now what do we do? Because Uriah, her husband, was someone that he knew and he loved and, and respected in the military. But he wasn't quite the warrior that, you know, he wasn't like a special ops guy, right? And so he sends him out into the heat of battle knowing that he was going to die. And he did trying to cover up the pregnancy. I mean, y'all think Jerry Springer's new? Come on. So I love the Bible. I love the stories of the Bible because these people were janky. I mean, jacked. And 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 they're our, we are descendants of these people. And so when I meet all these sanctimonious, you know, super holy roller, you know, just we're all so colonial and, and put together, And ascending into the clouds, I'm like, have you read your Bible? Do you know where we come from? (laughs) I mean, we come from whores and harlots and killers and murderers and liars and thieves. And I mean, warmongers and warriors, ass kickers. I mean, I love it. I I love all of it because it's a story of redemption. (laughs) So, So God's like, okay, all right, David. Okay, I made you king. 
and this was really jacked up. You took the one thing this man had, which was a beautiful, exquisite wife. You took her for yourself, you get her pregnant, and then you have him killed. What a train wreck. And God's like, okay, well, this isn't karma, but this is you've sowed these seeds and now and now there's going to be some things that sprout up that you're not going to like. And the death of this child is going to be is going to be one of them and one of many things that actually sprouted because of that sin between David and Bathsheba. I mean, if you remember one of his other sons raped one of his daughters. I mean, it was just look Before we ever got to King Solomon, who was pretty friggin' amazing, you know, David had some jacked up kids. And some of y'all are like, I didn't hear from my kids on Mother's Day. Well, go back and read your Old Testament. You might feel a little bit better about your janky kids. So, so King David is like, you know, not on God's favorite list at this time. And God takes his child, but, but beforehand, David's like, praying fast. He's not eating. He's like laying just completely prostrate before the Lord. He's like, I'm not coming out. You know, he's wailing. He is begging. And uh, he did all of his mourning, hoping and praying that God would, you know, honor that and have mercy on his heart and his soul, his brokenness, that this child would live. And God had already determined that the child wasn't going to live. And he didn't change his mind. But I admire David's grieving process. I'm going to tell you why. It is important for you to grieve. It is godly for you to grieve. It is extraordinarily unhealthy and ungodly for you to continue to grieve past its time. And whenever God took that child and that child took its last breath, David washed his face, he changed his clothes, he got up, ate a meal, probably had a little chalice of wine, and was like, all right, time to move forward. And his and people around him were like, I'm sorry, are you okay? Like, the baby died. He's like, well, uh, right, what, what am I supposed to do about it? The baby's gone. God didn't change his mind. The baby's gone. I asked. It didn't happen. The baby's gone. I've done all of the mourning that I'm going to do. And now I'm going to respect God's decision. And I'm going to move forward. I have attempted to deploy that in my life of inordinate amounts of grief. And it is very helpful. It is very helpful. Again, I love balance. I love and the only, the only way you find balance is to prioritize. My daughter taught me that. <laughs> My wise little sage. Mom, there's no such thing as balance. It's all about prioritization. And she's right. She's absolutely right. She started that mess when she was like 15, and she's not wrong. You know, we've got our scales. We're trying to balance and breathe and do yoga poses. And she's like, no, no, no. It's called prioritization. Your emotional, spiritual, and mental, physical health are all connected, my loves. So it's very important for you to take care of your heart. 
it's very important for you to take care of those things that grieve you and have hurt you and have wounded you. Things that you've done to hurt others, it's very important to keep your accounts short. Keep them short with yourself and with others. You will sleep better at night. You will stop chasing things and people who are not yours, who will never be for you. They will only take from you. They will only inspire you to take from them. So I want to encourage you tonight as you go to sleep to, again, remember we end every day by releasing people, beginning with ourselves, from the offenses that we hold in our hearts about them. Release them before they ever ask for your forgiveness. And if you just can't do it, ask God to help. And what I do is just say, okay, I'm really about what this person did, um, but Father, I don't want to carry this off into my sleep. I don't want to carry this at all, so please take this from me and know that I want to forgive or I'm really upset with myself because I did this and I know I shouldn't have and I want to forgive myself. I need your help. And uh, in the meantime, you know, as I'm growing and moving forward or maybe this person hasn't come forward or they don't even know you're upset with them. Do you know how many people have no idea that you're legitimately offended about something? So they're out living their lives and you're the only one who's a sourpuss about it. They have no idea they've done anything wrong. And most people don't want to be out of fellowship with others. So if you just tell them, give them a chance to make it right. And if they don't, okay, that's their choice. Grieve. If they don't choose to be reconciled, if they don't choose you, if they don't don't choose to take care of your heart and to minister to you, if they don't choose to be in fellowship with you, grieve it and let it go. Just let it go. You have to make a conscientious choice to do it. Because there are other people. There's another person. There are other people. There are other experiences. God is always waiting to fill those all of the places that he knows our hearts are barren. The moments, the opportunities, the experiences, the people, the fellowship, the relationship, the knowledge, the, the growth, the humanity. It's all there. It's all there. But we end up so clogged by the things and the people and the moments and the experiences and the wounds and the grief that we just refuse to let go of because there's such a payoff to hold on to it. Whether it's self-pity, it's usually self-pity. Or it's pity of others or you know, it's, it's how we insulate ourselves. It's ridiculous. It is a death spiral. I'm begging you tonight to search your heart. Search your heart for the grief in your heart. As a mother, as a woman, as a man, a father, a husband, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, a son, a daughter, an aunt, an uncle, grandparent, whatever. Maybe it's, it was your employer. Maybe you're, you're, you need to grieve the loss of a career, the loss of your health, the loss of friendships, neighbors, the loss of your pets. It's okay. It's okay. Something I used to tell my daughter, and I'll tell you. When she was upset about something, I'd hold her, put her up in my lap, and I still do. She's almost 25 years old. I put her in my lap. 
and she hates it, but it's okay. But I put her, it's good though, because I finally just feel her whole body just go limp. All those cares, she just lets them go. But I just, if I could just visualize this, I would just, I would put you in my lap. This is my mama's side coming out. And I would just say, I, I wrap my arms around her and I put her head on my shoulder and I just keep saying, it's okay. You're okay. You're okay. And you're going to be okay. And it is going to be okay. Do you hear me? And that's what I'm saying to you tonight. You're okay. And it's okay. And God loves you. And he sees you. And he wants your burdens. And he wants to heal you. And he literally catches every one of your tears in a bottle. And most of us could start an ocean with the tears that we've cried throughout our lifetime. And that's okay. So I want you to be okay tonight as you go to sleep. And sleep well. Exhale. Take a deep breath. Let it go. Be grateful. Thank God for his mercy and for his grace. And that he's there to comfort you tonight. He's there with you right now. And that you're safe. You're okay. Hopefully you're in a warm bed. If you need to make peace with the person who lies next to you, do so. Don't wait. Don't delay. Just do it. If you need to minister to yourself, run yourself a hot bath, get up and go pour a warm glass of milk or tea, get back in the bed and snuggle up and go to sleep with a smile on your face. Hold your pillow tight if you're laying there by yourself. And just know that we're never alone. You may feel lonely, but you're not alone. So I pray that God's heavenly angels are there with you tonight, that you sleep well, that you love well, you forgive well. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Love you guys. Cookies and milk. Remember to share, 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 share the podcast. <laughs> and bless other people. Thank you for being such a blessing to me and listening. This does my heart a whole lot of good. <laughs> All right. Until tomorrow. Sleep well, babies. Bye-bye.